Okay, good evening and welcome to the April 2022 meeting of the San Francisco Animal Commission. My name is Michelangelo Torres and I'm your commission chairperson. We are still holding our meetings remotely due to the ongoing COVID-19 health emergency and based on recommendations issued by our city and state governments regarding remote meetings. For those of you who are interested in how our commission works or serving on this commission, that information is on our website at sfgov.org forward slash animals. On our website, you will also find the agendas, minutes, and supporting documents from our previous meetings, as well as audio and videos of past meetings that include presentations from community organizations such as Wildcare, NorCal Bats, Project Coyote, as well as a presentation on companion animals and disaster preparedness presented by our Department of Animal Care and Control Representative, Dr. Sherry O'Neill. A video of last meeting's informative presentation with the Golden Gate Audubon Society's Executive Director, Glenn Phillips, can also be found at our website on our homepage and the audio archives page. So please check out our website at sfgov.org forward slash animals. Please also feel free to follow our commission's social media accounts. Links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages are located on our website's homepage and contact us page. Members of the public who wish to comment during the meeting can call 415-655-0003 and use access code 2470-148-6282 to make comments. Please make your comments in accordance with the agenda, in accordance with the agenda, excuse me. Commissioner Tobin, could you please take roll from the list of names signed on to the meeting? Yes. I see present, uh, when I call your name, say present, but uh, Commissioner Torres. Present. Commissioner Fortier. Present. Commissioner Stokel. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Brian. Commissioner Van Horn. Too many Brian's in the room. <laughs> Commissioner Van Horn. <laughs> uh, Commissioner Ozenoy. Present. Commissioner Chan. Present. Commissioner Irani. Present. And Commissioner Tobin is here. Is Commissioner, uh, we'd also like to call Dr. Sherry O'Neill. Present. Uh, Officer Joe Majeski is not here, nor is Christopher Campbell from SF Rec and Park. Okay, thank you. And moving on to general public comment, members of the public may address the commission with comments on items within the commission's jurisdiction other than items on the agenda. As with previous meetings, I will be facilitating the public comment periods at tonight's meetings. Members of the public who wish to comment should hit three on their phone to be added to the speaker's queue. I will unmute your phone line when it is your turn to speak. When prompted, you will have two minutes to make a comment. Please be aware that after your two minutes have passed, your phone line will be muted again and I will go on to the next caller. And I don't think I saw anyone, but let me just double check. And yes, there is no one, no callers indicating that they wish to make a comment so we can close public comment. Okay, thank you. Moving on to approval of draft minutes from the March 2022 meeting. The draft minutes document for our March meeting was distributed to commissioners earlier this week, and I believe everyone has had a chance to review them. Are there any questions, comments, or corrections to the minutes before voting to approve them? Commissioner Fortier? Yes, thank you. Um the draft it says the it's the it says meeting minutes from February 10th. So the date was not changed to reflect the March 
meeting. Okay. Any other comments or questions or corrections? Okay, seeing none, um, should we vote on the minutes as amended or as um, with the revision of the date? Um, when I call your name, please let me know if the minutes are approved with correction. Commissioner Chan? Aye. Commissioner Fortier? Aye. Commissioner Irani? Aye. Commissioner Ozernay? Aye. Commissioner Tobin? Aye. And Commissioner Van Horn? Aye. Okay, great. Minutes are approved. Okay, now moving on to um, chairpersons and commissioner reports. Commissioner reports regarding recent activities in the community involving animal issues that have been discussed by the commission in the past. Are there any reports to share? Commissioner Irani? Um, I have a brief report. This is not anything new, but I just wasn't here to report on it earlier, but um, the state legislation committee um, supported our plant-based meals and milk bill that we took to them in January. Um, and that bill has passed uh, passed the state assembly. It's now in the state Senate. So hopefully the Senate will pass it and it will become a law later this year. Um, and I will be following up on that. Um, and the agricultural bill, the smart climate agriculture program, unfortunately the assembly member who put that forward is not moving it forward this year. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, and the state legislation committee said that they were open to hearing about um, uh, about it in the future or any similar bills in the future. So um, that's all I had to report. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you. I attended that um, state legislation committee meeting and you did an amazing um, presentation. So thank you so much for your effort and all you did for it. It was really, really powerful. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Uh, I also wanted to thank Commissioner Chan also who worked on those proposals. So uh, we all did it together and thank you for your support and for attending last minute. Thank you. And thank you as well, Commissioner Chan. We really appreciate it. Great work. <laughs> any other questions, any other reports, excuse me to share. Okay, uh, seeing none, we can move on to new business. The Mother's Building, a platform for opportunity. Uh, Brian Stockel from the Department of Recreation and Parks, Capital and Planning Division, and Richard Rothman, a photographer and mural preservation advocate, will present on the Mother's Building, a building of historical significance located at the San Francisco Zoo. So we're very happy to welcome tonight Brian Stockel and Richard Rothman to our meeting. And um, we look forward to learning more about this amazing building. So Commissioner Tobin, please go ahead with introducing this item. Okay, great. Um, here's hoping this works. And let's see, let's move that one down and share. Sorry. Uh, there we go. <laughs> all right. Um, as all of you know that uh, one of our roles as part of the commission is to serve um, as advisors on the joint zoo and recreation and parks committee. And um, I raised my hand to do that back in 2015. And it's been a really fascinating adventure. And one of the most interesting things are the, um, the folks who show up at the meeting, including Richard Rothman, who has forever been 
at the very first meeting talking about this uh, historic building on zoo property. And um, I found it incredibly intriguing and wanted to learn a little bit more about it. And that led us down uh, several years here. It is now 2022. And we've made some progress with this building. Um, and we kind of want to run through some an idea deck of what it could be, what it is right now, and what it could be. And uh, that's why I'm so delighted to bring Brian Stokel, who's been um, a partner in this uh, from Rec and Park and helping uh, craft the vision along with Richard Rothman so that we can move the um, this building forward. Um, and so without further ado, I'm gonna introduce you to Brian Stokel. Good morning, good afternoon, or I guess it's evening almost now, commissioners. Mm -hmm. It's a pleasure to be here with you all. Um, as Jane mentioned, we're talking about the Mother's Building. Uh, my name's Brian Stokel. I'm a planner at the Capital and Planning Division in Reckon Park. Um, and thank you, Jane, for the introduction, and Richard will be coming up later. Um, if you could go to the next slide. Just to situate everyone, uh, the building uh, we're talking about, the Mother's Building, is situated in the San Francisco Zoological Gardens which is a property under the jurisdiction of Reckon Park. That's why I'm partially why I'm here, but it, they do have a long-term lease so that it is within the zoological gardens purview. Um, the building was once used for mothers and children, thus the name, and most recently as a gift shop for the zoo near its former Slope Boulevard entrance, which is now closed. It's located in the southwest corner of the city, as you can see on the little inset map. And the entrance and the building have been shuttered for 20 years now. So if you were at the zoo more than 20 years ago, you might remember this building and that entrance with the lovely red stones. Uh, this presentation will answer uh, the questions of what the currently unused space could be. Uh, now, uh, I think it's back to you, Jane. Mm -hmm. So we saw this as a platform for opportunity. And when I say that, I mean that what we really wanted to do was incorporate all these ideas and these thoughts from these stakeholders that include the zoo, the Arts Commission, the Heritage, San Francisco Heritage, and other allies, how this building could be used. That was really our direction at this particular point. And it was designed, uh, what we, these, uh, this idea deck was designed with the help of a experiential design firm that's located in uh, Philadelphia and New York called Blue Cadet. And we use the zoo's mission to really build our this deck and these ideas and really to guide us. And that mission, since you've all been part of these past meetings with the zoo, is that nature-focused interaction leads to conservation action. And the zoo further distills their mission into four C's, this connect, care, coastal, and conservation. The most recent C, which is coastal, um, is new to the zoo, but they're embracing their unique position that facing the Pacific Ocean, which to them is a whole nother zoo and incredibly unique. There isn't another zoo on the planet that actually is in that position. 
So we figured that in order for the Mother's Building to project to be successful, we had to honor its history and yet build a pathway toward a future that's relevant, sustainable, not only just the building itself, but financially sustainable and really creative, a draw to that western edge of the city. And to accomplish that, we recommended going uh, from the following froms and twos. Right now, as Brian had mentioned, it's a vacant shell and has been for over 20 years. And so we're looking at uh, researching, reopening a historic entrance of Sl on Slope Boulevard. And once that's open, the mother's building, mother's building becomes this front porch or a window to the zoo for the community and for its members. Um, they also had this uh, water feature ages ago too. And we proposed that we re-expose or reveal water again and showcase its importance in our history now, not only now, but our future history as well. It's also op opportunistic in a way because our neighbor right there next to the zoo is the PUC and they're in the midst of a substantial project to upgrade the West Side pump station and the adjacent, um, you know, um, sorry, adjacent to the zoo, but their goal is really to create a reliable water system and to adapt to climate realities. Um, also, we saw not only is this this former um, gift shop was uh, it hasn't been used in its original intent too, which was a center for progress and education and art and enlightenment. Um, these two women that are pictured right here were the muralists who designed the interior um, artwork of the building, and when. Contracts were awarded to these women artists as part of the WPA arts program. It was revolutionary. So there's hope that we can reinstall those or reinvigorate and reimagine having those voices again in this space. Um, in addition, those murals that they created are really, uh, they've had, they've suffered some damage. Um, but there's technology out there. You could either go to the point of repainting murals or you could look at the idea of digital conservation, which is becoming um, more and more um, used in art conservation. And we argue that leaving those murals intact and with the damage on the Western Wall where all the uh, weather has impacted the artwork tells a more compelling story. And we'll show you how that looks later on. But lastly, we wanted to um, take this building, which right now is in sort of a life support situation. It's it's stabilized, but uh, it needs a lot of care. And we want to take this weathered building, um, make it a model of architectural ingenuity and innovation. And if we harness the power of the elements that have been battering the building into a force of positive energy, we can then again use that as a goal to inspire conservation action. So with that, um, when you look at the elements of the building, nothing will be left untouched in that we want to use each of those elements to help in the storytelling. And in this particular instance, um, the windows could be, could could showcase dynamic digital content and it's incorporated into those window frames, providing the a peek into the stories currently being told within the mother's building or further into the zoo. Um, those are templated motion um, graphics driven by a CMS system and they can quickly transform as the day's events change. Um, in addition, 
Benches on the exterior of the building can be used as active listening benches. And in this particular example, uh, a visitor might hear the story of the Bruton sisters who designed and installed the mosaics. Um, although the mother's building really isn't visible on all four sides, we would we would like to see that actually happen. The back is completely inaccessible, and although it's stable for now, there's no hiding the damage that the wind and water have done. And if you look inside the building, it reveals that those west walls that you see here with covered in the um, in the plant matter uh, have sustained the most damage. So the west wall could be an opportunity to showcase some creative sustainability practices. In this particular example, a living wall absorbs the elements and provides a protective skin or a protective layer. So other ideas can be explored. This is just one, but the point is the building has these four walls and they're all opportunities. Um, if you were to look at the building's financial um, opportunities too. You wanna to look down at it. It's a very long rectangular space, very open. Um, so that provides a number of financial sustainability opportunities in this space. So an open floor plan offers options for rentals that include a gallery exhibits, events, and speaker series. Um, the murals are really an interesting element here, and this is where it becomes really compelling for the commissioners and for, you know, animals in particular and for the conservation moment is that these uh, murals are these learning opportunities. You can use either your, um, we're uh, proposing that you could either use your own personal devices to point and click at a particular image on a mural and learn more about what's going on, not only at the zoo, but potentially other um, conservation efforts on the behalf of these animals and uh, what you can do as an advocate for these animals. Um, or we could use larger interactive stations. So I'm gonna, before I do that, I want to tell you that um, I mentioned before that we talked about digital restoration. Um, and we, the use of an immersive canvas is what we'd like to explore here. So I wanna show you what, I promised you I'd show you what that would look like. So I'm just gonna take a moment to show how that might work. So as you can see that Western wall, which had the most damage there is digitally repainted to show the effects of um, what it could be. This has been done in other installations in, across the country. And I would argue that it tells a really important story about leaving it intact shows us the kind of damage that happens when left unattended. But once you have those um, projection systems, they're available to the public. And the community is able to use these as in speaker series or furthermore for experiential events. Um, you've probably seen a lot of different types of experiential events that Van Gogh and Picasso. And um, so this is a space in which you could do some of these things as well too. But more importantly, the speaker series as well for the community. Uh, furthermore, the front of the building, which faces the East Meadow, that real front porch of the zoo, <clears throat> former front porch of the zoo, is actually can be activated as well too. And so 
in this particular example, they're showing um, marine biodiversity of the California coastline. At this point, I'm going to pass this along to Brian again, and he can share how this all fits into what's going on in the southwestern edge of the city. Thanks, Jane. Um, what you're seeing here is the northern bit of the zoo um, with the mother's building highlighted in yellow and white and the immediate open area near it. So those two blue dots are potential reflecting or play pools. There's the big meadow next to it and also the quite amazing, if I personally, I think the playground that the zoo has. All of this area is in proximity to the uh, the mother's building, but um, at the top is Slope Boulevard, and that's where we want to focus a potential new entrance so people could access both the mother's building for events or for uh, learning, like what Jane was showing. Um, but it could also be integrated in some fashion, working with the zoo so that people could use some of these other spaces. But the, the key thing is that people would be able to come from Sloat to use the mother's building regardless of the zoo. And there are a lot of details to work out there, but we're working with the zoo right now to see what, what works best for both places. Um, the bottom line is any new programming would need to determine how do people get to the zoo, both for ADA reasons, but also just walking in. Uh, likewise, we wanna make sure that the mother's building engages the zoo gardens and how do people move from the building and experience the animals at the zoo um, and the wonderful garden there afterwards. Next slide. Mm -hmm. So pulling back a little bit, what we've got here uh, is the mother's building in blue, that little rectangle near the middle top. And as I mentioned before, it would be an opportunity to promote the zoo's conservation goals, either explicitly or implicit and implicitly, um, with people being able to go to the to and from the zoo to the mother's building. So those are those orange lines you're seeing there, the dark reddish orange ones. In addition, there are there many other projects happening around in the area that we're coordinating with. Um, on the far left in the dotted orange, the light orange is the Ocean Beach Multi-Use Trail. Um, that's part of the Ocean Beach Climate Change Adaptation Project, which is going to break ground in 2023. So that what, what happens there is that the roadway that's currently a two four lane roadway will be transforming into a promenade. So in many ways, it'll be a better interface for people interacting with the zoo, but also this new mission for the mother's building and easily go over to see and engage the beach and the ocean to the side. In addition, where there's the great highway up to the north, currently that's a promenade on weekends and a roadway on the weekdays, it's future will be determined sometime in the near future. But more importantly, we're also working to see how can we better manage this area in a natural way for both plants and animals. We recently uh, were working with the San Francisco Estuary Institute, uh, the city is, and they applied for a grant from the California Conservation, California Conservancy, and they want a grant that will examine the 
the both animal corridors, but also uh, ways to better vegetate and control the dunes. So it's it's efforts like these that could are they're self reinforcing for both the mission of the mother's building as laid out and the zoo and frankly just having a better ecosystem here and the mother's building could be a a place where you could learn in a more uh museum like experience uh about it and then go out and experience it in in out in the open um and i think that's it for this one if you can go to yep. the next one uh this is a slide showing uh, uh the what the design of the new trail will look like along the beach uh south of sloat on the left is north where sloat is blue is the mother's building and uh, it's basically going to be a multi-use trail for bikes and pedestrians there will be a redesigned slightly designed access point to the beach at sloat and the designs come along a little further now that unfortunately there won't be an access to the beach in the middle but on the far right in set there will be a new stairway going down to the beach near the edge of fort funston and if you look at the next image yeah do you want uh, me to go this? yeah no that's fine and i'll hand it back to you jane and and oh. to richard yeah, sure. Um, so it's just where's our connection here really to and why I'm bringing something like this to to the animal commission is that, you know, I feel like we've we've explored and definitely touched on many conservation efforts and, um, and the whole systems of ecosystems that that make San Francisco so unique and, and beautiful. And this is one of those buildings that that could tell that story even more um, again that using the zoo's mission that that nature focused interaction can lead to conservation action and we really want that interaction to lead to action to visit the zoo to learn more about the animals to learn more about our own ecosystems here and to use that great highway or sorry the great walkway um in 19 or sorry 2025 that mother's building is going to turn 100 years old so we're hoping that um it's financially and structurally in a position to save itself and inspire us to take action on climate change. You know, we can reimagine and re-engineer and restore it so it's relevant. And to that end, we're proposing that the Mother's Building become the Mother Earth Building. And we've been pretty lucky because we've made some headway. So uh, <laughs> here's Brian and I and Richard at the Mother's Building back in late February. We're with, um, Supervisors Marr and Melgar, ex-supervisor, uh, former supervisor, I should say, Eric Marr as well, um, and Woody Labonte of SF Heritage and Reckon Park Commissioners, all of whom have seen this presentation and are very much on board. And when I say on board, I mean um, going to the next step as an economic feasibility study for some of the ideas that we've presented here. And Supervisor Melgar, and Mar um, took it a step further and they want to landmark the building. It's landmarked federally, but it's also uh, they want to landmark it as a San Francisco building as well, too. So I think um, at this point, I kind of want to pass the baton to Richard because I think what's really interesting here and what got us really intrigued by it were the women and the art of this building. So I'm going to, without further ado, I'm going to pass it along to Richard. 
Um, well, thank you. And, you know, I just want to thank uh, Commissioner Jane Tobin. I mean, I met her at the Joint Zoo Committee meeting, I don't know how many years ago, and she just wanted to know more about it. And we've been partners in this project for I don't know how many years, and it wouldn't have gotten this far without her. Um, I got interested in this project because of the murals in here. Uh, I've worked on saving Coit Tower, and I went in this building as a child. Uh, you know, as Jane mentioned, first this building was only uh, for uh, mothers only. It was built by Herbert Fleischacker and his brother to honor their mother. And the beginning was only mothers and children, and then it became a gift shop. And when they changed the ADA entrance, but the the murals in here are are all done by women. And one of the great things about the WPA project that it gave women and other minorities a chance to uh, to expand their artwork. Uh, these two women originally were going to paint, uh, do work at Coit Tower, but they decided to come to the zoo. They've done other work, and this is a story of Noah's and his art. There's uh, the whole phase of uh, of, uh, of Noah's and his art. Some of the long ones are 100 feet long. Um, it took them, uh, they started in 34 and didn't start until, finish till 38. Uh, they use a technique where you could, you didn't have to paint it all at once, so they when they ran out of money, they did other projects and came back And you know, except for the West wall, these murals are in great condition. And, um, these, these murals, uh, like Coy tower and beach chalet and the mother's building, these buildings weren't designed for murals. There was blank walls and these artists knew the walls here and they just wanted a place to paint and to earn their $31 a week. And that's what they did, whether these were to last or not, you know, and this is the water damage because the, um, uh, the building from the ocean, the ocean uh, uh, seeped into the building. It's now protected. And uh, thanks to Jane, we have a plan and um, we finally have two supervisors who care about this building and hopefully um, we'll start doing an economic study and uh, then we'll figure out how to uh, do the plan. Oh, the mosaics on the outside were done by a uh, uh, three sisters and uh, the Breton sisters, and they went on to be famous artists. Uh, there's a book about them, Sisters in the Art, and uh, I happened to meet the lady who uh, wrote the book and and knows all about them. And so, um, I guess we could you know, just... after 10 years, we're finally making progress. So if you have any questions for the three of us, we'd be happy to answer them. And thank you for letting us uh, present our presentation tonight. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, um, uh, 
Yeah, Richard and Brian and our own Commissioner Tobin. It's an amazing presentation. And uh, and Commissioner Tobin, I was really touched by your heartfelt um, uh, thoughts about it and everything and just your, your, your knowledge of it. So thank you so much, not just for bringing this presentation to our attention, but also to um, for participating in it. So sure. So lovingly, really. So thank you. Um, so I'd like to open it up to any commissioners for questions or comments. Is there anyone who'd like to start the discussion? Uh, Commissioner Irani, please. Uh, sure, I have one question. Um, you did touch on, um, you know, how this building or the vision can potentially um, change the way that people visit the zoo and, you know, what the impact will be and how, what they get out of those visits. And I'm wondering if you could tell us more about, you know, how or whether you see um, this kind of, you know, interactive um, building with a lot of, you know, technological advances. Like, do you see it kind of changing how the zoo operates or zookeeping or like the future of zoos? Um, you know, do you see do you see that happening? Uh, I see it more, you know, going to the joint zoo committee meetings for so many years. One thing I learned about the zoo that they do a lot of work Oh, they do some work outside of the do, like uh, in Yosemite, in uh, the lake off of uh, uh, lake off of uh, Park Presidio there. Mm -hmm. So I think this building could be, you know, like a transition to show what the zoo does in the community, because they really don't. They have staff, but they really don't, you know, tell a story. So, and the other thing is, I like. When opening the slowed entrance would make it more accessible to people in the city who don't drive because there's three bus lines right there. So now they have to walk halfway in the building, halfway to the parking lot to get in. If we open the slowed entrance, they could come right off of the L line or the 18 or the 29 line. So I, I see this as making it more accessible to to the residents of the city. I think I think that's an important point um, that, you know, transit equity is really important in uh, getting other people to appreciate the zoo and getting it, because I know the zoo, although they're in a unique position being there right on the ocean, they are also so far away from, they're not in the center of the city. So getting people to come there has has been one of their issues and making sure that it's equitable to people and to young kids. I remember one of the, the deputy director talking about how they used to shepherd kids across the um, great highway really quickly, you know, like hand holding and running across the great highway to show the kids the ocean that they had never seen before. Mm -hmm. And so, so, yes, I do think that it's multi-layered in that we want we want this building to be able to to uh, promote that messaging that's going on at the zoo. Sometimes you have to look at different, more creative ways to sh to story tell, and uh, being able to use your own device to find out more about an animal um, is just another layer of understanding uh, why it's important that the zoo is bringing orangutans in. And why it's important that they have this particular population and how they, you know, there's so many different storytelling opportunities 
but not only on that, but overall on conservation efforts. And lastly, I'd like to say that we do know that one of the things that when people talk about the zoo, um, they'll say, well, yeah, I remember going there when I was a kid. Or there are a lot of seniors who use the zoo because they enjoy the gardens and it's a nice, quiet, tranquil place to go. But what about the people in the middle who don't have very young kids and they're they're trying to attract a younger generation of potential philanthropic donors and and all and this idea of being able to present information in a different way to, for an appetite for that audience is also important in the storytelling and this is an area of interest in particular for that demographic so we want to make sure that we're we're serving all the needs all the way you know one other thing uh in working on this project, I've run into people who don't like zoos, you know, who, you know, and so maybe this could be like a transition for them to see what the zoo does outside and what, you know, they do inside. Because I've certainly learned a lot going to the joint zoo committee meetings that they do a lot, not just, at, you know, in taking care of the animals and, and, you know, so it, uh, there's a lot deep the depthness that uh, that the zoo does, and so maybe this building could be an education to you know, so people could learn more about the the zoo operations and how they they care for animals, not only in the zoo but outside of the of the zoo. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Forte. Yes, thank you. Thank you for this presentation. I had no idea um, about this building and I have been to the zoo many times. I'm curious if you have an idea, a vision of the financing of the restoration of this project. Do you envision a joint um, private public um, partnership? Um, and also does the city designation of a historical building, does this help um, with with fundraising for the building. If you could speak a little bit about that. Well, uh, that's why we want to do the economic study and see what the, what potentials are out there. Uh, I'm looking into, there's some historic preservation tax credits and I need to, to see if the zoo, uh, and I think it's, a, it's already, the building's already a national landmark and we're starting the process to make it a city landmark and just bring attention to to this building like you said you've been to the uh, zoo but you know unless you go to the children's playground or, and go all the way north you won't you know actually now the zoo doesn't even put it on its map so it's not even you know it's not even if you look at a map of the zoo now you won't see you'll see a building there but no name on it so Maybe we need to change that, but I think once we get the economic study, maybe um, we'll, you know, the place can uh, have events there. The murals are high enough up where as long as no cooking is done inside the building, but food brought in, there could be parties at nights or weddings when the buildings, when the zoos close. So there's all this potential, but you know, we need, we're at a point now where we need to do the economic study and see the, and see what uh, potentials, if we can raise money uh, privately, fine, or 
maybe we'll have to wait for the next rec and park bond measure to put it on 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 the bond to uh but the longer it waits, the more expensive it gets. So, <laughs> so no, it's a good question, uh, Commissioner Fortier, because it is one of my favorite questions, which means that people are thinking the next step. Because our original intent with this presentation is what can it be? And then the next question is how much is it going to cost? And who's interested? What do, What's the appetite for some of these ideas that we put forth? Some of them will do well, some of them might not. And so part of the economic feasibility study is to understand the true costs of each of these ideas and the uh, philanthropic appetite and the public dollars and private dollars that we might be able to get for running a project like this. So that's our next phase. Um, but thank you for thank you for asking what's our when we <laughs> what we'll be presenting next year in April of 2023. And also <laughs> we've gotten funds, the Historic Preservation Fund gave the project $100,000 to do uh, an econ uh, uh, condition assessment and Supervisor Katie Tang and Ashley Summers got $300,000 from reading the report to do the immediate and to do the short term and immediate needs of the, of the building, fixing some of the falling con concrete there and and other things that needed to make the building stabilized. So it's gotten some funding already, but uh, uh, the next funding we we'll hope we'll get uh, an ad back from uh, Supervisor Moore and, uh, and Nelgar so we can do the economic study and some other work on the building. Thank you. Any other comments or questions from commissioners? Um, Commissioner Ozenay, please. Yes, hi, uh, thank you so much. This was very uh, informative and as uh, I grew up in the city and I remember that um, building as a, as a gift shop uh, very clearly. Um, my question is, you did mention um, that it might have like nighttime uses and as a rental. How would be How would it be separated from the zoo at that time? Like, would there be, because I imagine the zoo wouldn't want people just randomly at night wandering around you know, their well, property. You know, this is a big, this is, uh, Richard, I'll take this one because this is actually a really big deal. Um, the zoo has very specific requirements about um, who's in their property, as you can imagine, and, and not, and controlling that. So there's, uh, it's not only imposed by the zoo, but also by, is it USDA or FDA? I can't recall. That requires a certain level of fencing around the area. So it's, it's protected and there would be portals that are going into the zoo, but those would be closed during nighttime events. Mm -hmm. So, and secure. So essentially what we're trying to do is make sure that we're compliant with all of the requirements with the fencing and um, ensuring the security of the animals inside. The zoo does not need that kind of um, security breach, if you will. So it's, uh, that has to be studied as well too. Thank you. It is the USDA. Okay, great. Thank Agri you. Ag agriculture. Mm -hmm. For AZA, they're approval agents. Right. Great. Any other questions? Uh, Commissioner Forte, I see your hand raised, but is that an old hand? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, let me see if there's anyone on the lines for public comments. 
Okay, it doesn't look like we have anyone for public comment. Um, so we can go ahead and close uh, public comments. Again, I wanna thank both Brian and um, Richard for um, being here with us tonight. Uh, we very much enjoyed your informative presentation. And um, and again, we, uh, we really appreciate you spending your evening with us. So thanks again for being here with us tonight. Thank, thank you. you for letting us participate. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so moving on to uh, agenda item number six, old business reporting from animal care and control. Um, animal care and control report regarding outcomes for animals and ongoing operations. Uh, Dr. O'Neill, please go ahead when you are ready. Okay, I will give you the rundown of what is in the shelter today. Um, let's see, we had five things in wildlife. Those are mostly um, wild birds. 19 cats, 53 dogs, and 39 others. Um, some of those are hamsters, mostly guinea pigs and rabbits, and a couple of king pigeons. Um, we have 76 animals in fosters, so that number's jumped way, uh, way up. There's two baby chickens with one of our officers who's fostering them, she might keep them. 68 cats and kittens, two dogs, and four others, which are also um, guinea pigs. So that's the rundown there. Um, just to circle back to the distemper outbreak in the wildlife, um, Fish and Wildlife did pick up a couple of skunks and tested them for us. Um, and indeed they were negative for rabies, but both positive for canine distemper. So just confirming our suspicions um, that continues to be an issue ongoing. Um, we have one new, um, ACA animal care attendant trainee that's starting, I think next week, his name is Quincy. Um, we have one new ACO trainee um, named Carlos. Um, I tried to get in touch with Captain Corso about the state of the hiring. Um, so I'm not sure how many positions are still open. It's still slowly moving forward, but as we know, um, Sergeant Sadler left us um, and Captain Corso will be on uh, maternity leave starting Ooh, in a couple of months in the summer. So they'll have to do some restructuring to kind of fill in while she's out um, and keep moving forward with the hiring. Um, as far as emergency after hour services, um, we hope to have a contract in place by May 1st. Um, so I will pass that along if that actually finally goes through. There's a second contract in progress, but it's very early on. And of course, we've been talking about this since uh, last September. So. We'll see. We're optimistic. Um, the if you guys remember the live rescue uh, show that mm -hmm. was on A and E, the the reality show for the ACOs. So that um, show ended, and then the crew um, that did the filming is going to come back and um, film a sizzle reel, which I had no idea what that was. Basically, they take a lot of footage and then try to put together like a you know, something to kind of shop around to other production companies to see if they will pick up um, an ACO centric show. So they're supposed to be in the shelter with us the week of May 10th. Um, and so we'll see what happens there. They got approved by the board um, to start the filming. So that's where that is. And then let's see, last week we had um, a happy hour with the cat volunteers. It had a cute name, but I can't remember what it was. Um, <laughs> I sent Michael, it was kind of late 
um, but we had like a little um, handout. We didn't really do a presentation, but we made one. Um, Michael can share it with everyone. Um, just kind of trends, nothing that's um, new or um, to the commission, essentially. Um, just kind of shows the trends on um, cat pathways, that type of thing. Um, so it went really well. There was a lot of really good ideas. Um, the volunteers had some suggestions for how we could kind of make their jobs easy, easier. And, you know, they are all about trying to make our jobs easier. Um, so it was great. So we have a few ideas um, and how we can make that happen. And I think that is all I have, unless there's specific questions. Thank you. And yeah, I will go ahead and share that uh, kitten handout that you sent to me. I appreciate it. I just had a question about the reality uh, show, the possibility of it. Any chance that a, a couple of cameras might follow you around on the second Thursday when they start filming so they can see you <laughs> attend the commission meeting? <laughs> that is not a veterinary show. We made that very clear because there are a lot of vet shows already out there. So um, I think they had a really good response with animal control. And so um, they got a, got a lot of good um, good feelings out of the show. So I think they're going to try to stick with that. And I hope they do not follow me around. <laughs> they're going to be in the field uh, most of the time. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure. There's a lot I don't know. I just know the date and that it was approved. Um, that's about all I know about it. So more details next month. Yeah, sounds great. And very good to hear about the about the new officers as well. That's perfect. Um, Commissioner Rosenberg, did you have a Yeah, I read that it was approved by the uh, Board of Supervisors to use the seal, to use all the official uh, city seal type uh, stuff, which is great because that's really hard usually to get the government approval. So I'll watch it for sure. I will be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can look at some of the old episodes. I didn't watch. They're kind of lengthy and they were on like kind of in the middle of the night. So I got to be honest, I didn't watch all of them start to finish, but I did watch part of it. My as an aside, my mother is like a huge fan of Officer Pone. And me too. She's, always, <laughs> she's always asking me, well, what is Officer Pone? She didn't care what I was doing, but uh, <laughs> she wanted to know what Officer Pone was up to. So um, nevertheless, it was, it seemed like it was um, well-received. I'm not sure, you know, the situation between the production company and the film crew is just, it's the same two folks that did the filming, but it's not the same producer you know, these are, they're just kind of on their own trying to find a home for the, a potential show. Yeah. Very exciting. Very exciting. Any other questions or comments? Okay. Let me, oh, I'm sorry. Super, um, Commissioner uh, Irani, I apologize. Sure. Um, I just have a quick question, Dr. O'Neill, and maybe this is something for next month, but because you mentioned, you know, um, kind of revisiting the cat policy and coming up with new ideas. And I wasn't here last month, but I did listen to the recording or watch the recording of the meeting. And um, I saw that, you know, some members of the public who are, you know, the rescue cat community are still concerned about like the policy change that happened a few years ago. And I'm just wondering, like, over the past few years, kind of what analysis or, you know, what conclusions have been drawn about whether the policy has been successful or what the impact of the policy has been or if it's been um, revisited at all? It has been revisited. Some of that is in the population data that's in the presentation that um, Commissioner Torres has. 
um, that just kind of goes through the trends on intake. I mean, it's a little tricky because of the pandemic. So it's a little hard to mm-hmm. figure out exactly what that meant for adoption numbers. Um, but the idea is that, you know, intake should go down, adoptions should go up, and that's kind of the trend that we're seeing. Um, so I, you know, we don't have, you know, too many conflicts that come up with it. Um, I think more and more, I mean, we were um, kind of on the the early front of making that change and just especially how around community cats, there's a lot more information out there that a lot of other animal welfare organizations have supported. NACA's made a statement. Um, you know, certainly there's a lot of um, new information coming out that this is kind of the way to go um, and not having healthy cats coming into the shelter. Um, and the idea is, you know, trying to help each animal where they're at and when they need our help. You know, when do they need to come in for spay neuter? If they need to come in with their sick or injured, then that means right away. You know, at what point do we um, have the cat come in or do they need to come in at all to get the services that they need um, and then go back to their home, whether that's outside um, or if it's a kitten and they go through kind of the adoption pathway. But that's kind of the trend nationwide, um, not just here. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions or comments? Is okay, there, we can open it for. Sorry, uh, yes. really quickly. Is, and I and I admit I just haven't looked. Is there on ACC's website like a FAQ? Like, what do you do if you find a lost? Yes. So we just revisit. We just worked on that as a group um, to get all the language and lots of links on there. Um, Deb probably will have it up. Boy, if not, the end of this week, early next week. So we kind of just retooled it so it's a lot easier. There's some really nice um, kind of an infographic and a and a flow chart and an algorithm about you know who to call and when and what do young kittens look like and um, what does um, you know, not thriving look like, how to identify that. So there's lots of new resources coming in. It should be a lot clearer um, for anyone. And we also did the same thing for wildlife. Um, Chris awesome. will get the baby wildlife as well. So um, actually sent our language to um, Lila Travis to review yeah, yeah. and just make sure that we've got it there. And so all that should be up on the website pretty soon, but we just revisited all of that. We we just got what was probably a kidnapped fawn, actually. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, um, coming soon. And we just that's awesome. There were several rounds of comments to just make sure that it looked um, really, you know, it was really straightforward and clear. Lots of pictures and just kind of the like the one pager on what to do. Oh, Doctor Neil, that's fantastic. I'm I'm glad I asked, and I'm glad to hear your answer. <laughs> We just, I like to say, it should be up soon. I think we had some last-minute additions, and then um, should be up next week. Okay, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, any other questions or comments before I open it up for public comments? Okay, it doesn't look like we do have anyone waiting to make a public comment. Okay, so thank you, uh, Dr. O'Neill, for your report again. Sure. And um, yeah, and then we'll go on to. Um, Commission governments. Okay. Uh, commission will discuss the status of in person meetings and the website migration. Um, first of all, before I do that, I did want to make uh, a kind of a, a, an announcement. It just came up, but um, 
seats one, two, and seat seven um, that are scheduled to come to term at the end of this month. Uh, it looks like um, the hearing for it, the appointment hearing for those seats um, from the Rules Committee is going to be this Monday at uh, 10 a.m. It looks like. It looks like um, the, our commission is first on the agenda as far as um, appointments go and hearings go. Um, but I know this is a, a little uh, late breaking and it's not a lot of notice, but um, so if anyone does need any assistance or anything, or if I can help in any way, please let me know. Okay, I believe everyone has been reached out to from the um, from Victor, the clerk of the Board of Supervisors, and everyone's already gotten in there, the required documents. But again, if there's any way I can help or offer support, please let me know. Okay, um, so going on now to um, to the items, to the other items um, or the other issues in this item. Um, as we voted and approved the resolution, making findings to allow teleconference meetings. Sorry. Um, under California Government Code Section 54953E, at our March meeting to cover this meeting, we will not need to vote on the resolution this evening, but we will need to vote on it again at our next meeting in May. Okay. Um, concerning the return to in-person or hybrid meetings, I reached out to the Office of the City Administrator uh, to ask if a date for our return has been determined yet. Um, I was told that one has not been determined yet, um, so this means that we will re we will still continue to meet remotely. Uh, since we were previously advised that they would give us at least a two month advance notice uh, before having to resume in person meetings, uh, I can probably guess that we will probably continue to meet remotely at least through the summer. But I will keep everybody in the loop um, if I should hear that there's any changes or a, an actual date has been decided. Um, then concerning the commission website migration from the sfgov.org to the sf.gov uh, website, uh, we're set to be done or almost done at the beginning of May. Um, a big, big thank you to the office, uh, to the Department of Digital Services, who has been actively um, um, transitioning our current content to the new website. Um, and what this involves, uh, just to kind of um, to kind of give a little bit of information about it. Um, there's new standards and new guidelines um, that need to apply to anything that's on the website. And so what's been happening is that they've been taking the information, basically revising it to fit those, um, those new guidelines and then um, uploading it to the new site. Um, I'm assisting as well to an extent, but they, they've done an amazing um, job of doing it. And as I said, we, they made tremendous progress. Um, so I'm going to be following up though with um, individual commissioners concerning specific tasks. Um, one task that we will need for everyone to assist with, um, and it's up to you as far as to what extent you want to assist with it, is um, the commissioner profile pages. Um, once a template for our profiles has been created, I will forward it to you along with additional information for creating your own profile page. Okay, um, and then you know we'll be able to talk more about it as well. But it's going to be basically a page where, you know, you can take it to whatever level you want. We have, um, you know, the ideal one would have like an image or a picture of, you know, yourself, uh, as well as a short bio. And um, also links to any of your, to your Facebook page or your Twitter account or whatever else you want to put on there. One thing I was thinking would be really great for those of us who write um, Baywolf articles to put links to those articles. Um, and also um, links to any other additional um, 
activities you're involved in. So it, it should really look sharp. So, you know, again, once we get the template set up, I will go ahead and forward that to you, um, as well as any additional guidelines that they offer so you can work on that. But again, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a great opportunity uh, to share additional information. Okay. Uh, so anyways, um, I've looked at what the new website looks like so far, and I will also forward to you all um, a link to a site that um, in which, you know, you can see the new template. And I think everyone will be impressed with it because it looks really dynamic. Great. So um, that's my report for this month. Um, are there any questions or comments or anything before I open it up for public comment? Okay, I guess I provided all the information anyone needs and answered any prospective questions. <laughs> okay, great. Okay, so anyways, looking at um, the speaker, the queue, it looks like we have no um, no um, callers waiting to make public comments. Okay, so we can move on um, to items for future commission meetings. Um, so our next meeting will be held on Thursday, March twelfth. This meeting will be held, of course, remotely. Uh, please reach out to me by the Friday before our next meeting with any proposed agenda items and any supporting documents. Uh, for our next meeting, that will be by Friday, May 6th. Uh, the agenda and any supporting documents will be uploaded to our website, sfgov.org forward slash animals, by the Monday evening before the meeting. Uh, so for our next meeting, that will be Monday, May 9th. Okay. Next month's agenda will include a presentation uh, with um, Igdaso Urban Wildlife Rescue, uh, the January-March 2022 quarterly report, as well as ongoing reporting and sharing of news and special events from um, San Francisco Animal Care and Control, and also voting on a resolution to continue to hold remote meetings. Um, is there any other things, any other things to which to add or? Okay, again, um, please feel free to reach out to me um, by Friday, uh, May 6th. Okay. And if there isn't nothing further, we can adjourn. Okay. Uh, thank you all so much for attending tonight's evening. It is uh, 6.34 p.m. and we are now adjourned. Thank you and good night, everyone. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Good night. Thank, thank you, everyone.